This week on Blue 58, we try to put the Atlanta loss in the rearview mirror, talk about what's going on with Randall Cobb, and discuss why it's really important that the Packers beat the Bengals this weekend, aside for the obvious reason. Then, what do Kevin King and Josh Jones need to do to play a bigger role on defense? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. We've got a jam-packed show for you today, and I'm really eager to get to some of the stuff that we have to talk about a little bit later on. So let's dive right into the headlines first and foremost. It was a disappointing day in in Atlanta. I almost said Arizona. First, I almost said St. Louis for some reason. But it was the Atlanta Falcons who beat the Packers on Sunday in prime time. The Packers losing a stadium opening game in week two for the second season in a row. I am really getting sick of losing to the Atlanta Falcons, especially in the way that the Packers are are losing. Uh, The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel made a big thing this week. Uh, Michael Cohen did a a column on it, uh, mentioned it in their podcast that this game was not as close as the final score looked. I disagree with that completely. This score or this game was much closer than the score indicated. The Falcons are not that much better than the Packers. They have just gotten some breaks that have really gone their way. That's fine, and that's not to take anything away from the way the Falcons have been playing because they've they've made those things happen and they've been ready to take advantage of opportunities when they have come along. But my gosh, I am sick of losing this way to teams that the Packers should be competitive with. Uh, I, I read something just before we came on air for this recording that really got my 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 blood up a little bit. The, the Atlanta Falcons SB Nation site posted something called or under the title of the 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 Atlanta Falcons own the Green Bay Packers, and they they came to that conclusion based on the fact that uh, for three games in a row now the Falcons have have beaten the Green Bay Packers. Never mind the fact that the Falcons uh, beat a badly decimated uh, Packers team in Week Eight of last season by a single point. And they needed to drive down the field very late in which to do that. Uh, they beat a decimated team again in the playoffs. I mean, the Packers had nobody nobody healthy in that game. Latroy Guyon was taking snaps on the offensive line at the end of that one. There was nobody healthy in the secondary. And then they beat the Packers again this year without uh, Jordy Nelson, both starting tackles, and uh, and Mike Daniels. I mean, I'm just tired of losing to the Packers or to the Falcons this way. But what can we take away from this game in Seattle? Uh, I explored this in some depth on the blog. Um, a, a couple things that really jump out to me, I'm going to let you uh, go through the entire thing yourself. First and foremost, I think the offensive line is less of a problem than we were maybe led to believe or maybe than we thought was going to be, than I certainly thought was going to be. Uh, Cal Murphy and Justin McRae, by and large, were, were fine. They didn't blow it for the Packers, and they certainly weren't the reason the Packers lost. Um, it is interesting to me how big a, a, a role in this game blown calls played. It's, it's always a bad look to, to blame the refs for an outcome, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to blame the refs for the way this particular game turned out. But the, it, there always seems to be this idea that a team should play so well that a, a blown call here or there shouldn't make a huge difference in the game. And I just completely reject that notion out of hand. There are high leverage plays in a game, plays that happen in a particularly crucial situation or have more impact than others. Uh, plays that happen in a particular part of the field or in a particular part or, or a particular part of the game when there's not a lot of time left are more meaningful than other plays. And the Packers had two plays uh, in particular, that 
cost them a lot, more than just any random play in the game. And I'm talking in particular about the two offensive pass interference calls. The first one happened when the Packers were were rallying late in the game, or late in the first half, that is. uh, And they could have, had they scored a touchdown on that drive, been down by just three points going into halftime. You score again after halftime, it's either a tie game or the Packers are up by four points. It's extremely important, or it was extremely meaningful, that the Packers had a 36-yard catch and run called back due to a, let's say, dubious at best, offensive pass interference call. The same goes for the the touchdown in the second half. That was at least uh, a four-point swing because they had a touchdown taken off the board, instead had to settle for a field goal after a sack. Those were extremely high-leverage plays. And it's fair to say the refs played an outcome because they did. They dramatically affected the Packers' chances of winning this game. It's frustrating that that was something that happened in this game. There's nothing you can really do about it, but it, but it was frustrating that it played that big of a role. Uh, finally, and this is something that I, I'm not really sure how you address it because there's, there's no film study that could reveal what, what needs to be done better. There's no sort of way to say what he's, he's really doing wrong. But it, Martellus Bennett is having trouble hanging on to the football. He does have eight catches for 90 yards through two games, which is which is pretty good. He's on pace for about 700 yards receiving, a little bit more than that actually, at that rate, which would be fantastic for the Packers' tight end if if they if they could have a tight end that would go for 700 yards in a single season. I think you would be pretty ecstatic for that, assuming the rest of the offense goes pretty much uh, according to expectations. But Bennett has has had some key drops, and it's been disappointing to see him play. In that way, and I'm, I'm sure he's been disappointed with his performance too, because some of those drives have been very important uh, that that he has ended with drops, and it's it's puzzling to see that happen. I don't think he's really been a guy who was known for his drops previously, although I uh, don't quote me on that. I don't know for that for sure. It's been very frustrating though to see Bennett play this way, and it'll be interesting to see if he turns it around as the season goes on. Also coming out of this game, moving on to our second headline, wondering if. Randall Cobb is back. And by back, I mean back to the guy he was in in 2014 or so when he was playing his very best football that we've seen, uh, at least with with the Green Bay Packers. Through two games, Randall Cobb has been targeted 22 uh, 22 times. That's more targets than he's seen in any two-game stretch, dating back nearly a year. So is this a a resurgence of some kind or just a mirage? On the one hand, you could say that Randall Cobb is stepping up in a situation where the Packers aren't really firing on all cylinders on offense, and he is really the only one who is who is contributing regularly. And as a result, Aaron Rodgers is looking for him more. And along those lines, you could argue that maybe that bigger role is here to stay. As long as the Packers are passing as much as they are and Randall Cobb keeps getting open, uh, they will look to get him the ball. On the flip side of that, you could pretty easily argue that we'll probably see his targets drop and drop pretty significantly as soon as Jordy Nelson is fully healthy and Martellus Bennett really gets going. Uh, Jordy Nelson missed virtually the entire game this past Sunday. And as of the time we're recording this, he's considered a 50-50 shot to play next week against the Cincinnati Bengals. In the short term, it seems like Cobb is still going to continue to get targets and and will probably continue to produce. But I think you can make the case, and I kind of lean this way, that his targets and overall role in the offense is going to diminish 
as the Packers really find their stride on offense. I don't think we've really seen them really hit it on offense so far uh, at this point in the season. And at least my opinion of Cobb is that he's really good kind of playing in these situations where you don't really know what's going on. He's good at finding spots and and connecting with with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe as the, the Packers offense becomes more structured and more consistent, his role will diminish a little bit. At any rate, I think it's been great to see him play at a little bit higher level so far this season. It was really frustrating to see him get robbed of a a long catch and run and a touchdown on Sunday. I hope the resurgence continues. I'm not sure it's going to continue at the level it's been so far. Finally, why does Aaron Rodgers need to beat the Bengals? Let's get it out of the way right off the bat. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins are a team stat. Quarterbacks play a big part in wins, but giving a quarterback a win-loss record is foolish because they're not, they don't play the ultimate deciding role in the success or failure of their team. Their performance does go a long way, but you should not give them the win-loss sort of record like you do with pitchers in baseball. You probably shouldn't do it for pitchers in baseball either. That's an entirely different discussion. But why do the Packers need to get a win over the Bengals uh, with Aaron Rodgers as the starting quarterback. Well, if they do, Aaron Rodgers will have beaten every team in the league other than the Packers as a starting quarterback. The Packers will have gotten wins over every team in the league uh, with Aaron Rodgers as a starting quarterback. Is that ultimately super important? Probably not. Brett Favre did it. Uh, He actually went on to beat every team in the league when he played with the Minnesota Vikings and beat the Green Bay Packers a couple times. Hopefully Aaron Rodgers never has that opportunity, but it is cool to see him kind of check off that 31st team on his list, or it would be at least, uh, as he continues to kind of get to the point in, in the record books where he's, he's more and more competing against himself than other people. He is now even, by the way, with John Elway uh, on the all-time leaderboards in terms of passing touchdowns and would pass him with one passing touchdown on Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about Kevin King and Josh Jones here in a second, but first I wanted to draw your attention again uh, to our Patreon page. Patreon is something of which I have become a bigger and bigger fan. Gary and I went back and forth on this for a long time during the first year of the Power Sweep, whether we wanted to have a Patreon account or not. Patreon, if you're unfamiliar, is a website where people can directly support uh, other people who are creating things that they think are of value to them. You're not buying anything. Uh, you're just acting as a patron, giving an amount of money each and every month uh, to support the people that are creating things that are important or valuable to you. Uh, we have decided to go this route, and a few of you have generously stepped up and helped us continue to fund the things that we need to keep the Power Sweep and Blue 58 going. And I want to draw your attention to that page again. There is a link to Go to that on our homepage at thepowersweep.com. And I'm going to include this in the weekly email that goes out, uh, including this week's episode of Blue 58 as well, because we we can always use more support. And I don't want to beg for money or make you feel like you're obligated to support us, but it does go a long way. Each and every one of those dollars that you submit uh, via Patreon or via uh, buying a shirt or something like that, it does help. And it does go to supporting the site. It costs... Uh, more than a little bit of money to keep this project going. And we are grateful for anybody who chooses to support us. Patreon is a really easy way to do that. It's a set it and forget it sort of thing. Uh, You can donate once, you can donate monthly. It's real easy. Uh, Check it out on our site at thepowersweep.com. And if you want to support us in a tangible financial way, that's a real easy way to do it. 
Not saying you have to, just saying we'd really appreciate it if you did. And that's one way to go about it. For different reasons, the Packers' defense has been a story this year, uh, both in week one and in week two. In week one, it was for very good reasons. The Packers' defense was excellent that day. And uh, I think they played pretty well, by and large, um, throughout the entirety of that game. They rushed the passer well. Uh, They were decent enough in the secondary, although the fact that they got off to the quarterback so well uh, had a big big hand in that. Uh, Week two, you obviously know what happened there as well. The Packers' defense was not good. Uh, Really, any way you spin it, they were not very good, except for a couple bright spots. One was Clay Matthews, who was rushing the passer better than we have seen in quite some time. Uh, The second one for me at least, was Kevin King, seeing how he performed in some limited snaps, uh, playing on the outside, a little bit on the inside, matching up more or less with Julio Jones uh, all over the place. Didn't really travel with him in particular, but he did end up matching up with Julio Jones a lot. The short of this is that the Packers just need better performances all around on defense. And often, one of the quickest way to do that is just to get more athleticism on your defense. You get guys running around faster. You get guys who can match up with more players. uh, And you just have more options on defense when you're more athletic. Consider the case of Quentin Rollins, who seems for all the world to be pretty competent when it comes to the technical skills of being a cornerback. He can do the things that you need to do. He can backpedal well. He can mirror movements. He has pretty decent ball skills. But what he isn't is tremendously athletic. Of the Packers' draft picks at the cornerback position in the Ted Thompson era, he is, in fact, one of the most unathletic. And that limits what he can do. You just simply can't put Quentin Rollins on a guy like Julio Jones. He's just going to run away from him, get open, and make a big play. We saw that time and time again in this Packers secondary this past Sunday on defense. Julio Jones just running away from people. That's not a skill issue. That's just an athletic athleticism thing. The Packers need to be a more athleticism or more. The Packers need to be more athletic. They need more athleticism on defense. And Kevin King and Josh Jones could be the quickest way to accomplish that goal. Mike McCarthy talked this week. He says there's a pretty good opportunity for both of them to play more this week. Uh, I think it needs to be past that. I think Kevin King and Josh Jones need to play more uh, on defense for the Packers to get better and for the Packers' defense to be its best, the best version it can be uh, by the end of the season. The Packers are not near their peak on offense or on defense right now, but they want to be there when they're in December and hopefully January and even more hopefully February. To get to that point, they need these guys to be ready And the quickest way for them to get ready is for them to play now. So what, assuming they play more, are those roles going to be? And what can we expect? So two questions for each of these players. What are those roles going to be and what can we expect? Since he played the most this past Sunday on defense, let's start with Kevin King. What would his role be if the Packers decided right now they were going to play him more? For starters, let's start and say what it's not going to be. Kevin King is not immediately going to jump in and be your number one every single snap cornerback following the star receiver from the other team. That's what they would like him to be in the future. 
It's not going to happen this week or any week in the relatively near future. Rule that out right away. What I do think is going to happen, though, is he is probably be going to become their preferred option uh, as an outside corner in their nickel and dime defenses, bumping Demarius Randall into the slot. So he would be, in effect, their number three cornerback on the depth chart. And when they go into situations where they're bringing in those sub packages, which they do most of the time, he would play on the outside and move Demarius Randall into the slot. I think that accomplishes two really good things. It, it gives the Packers a very long athletic player on the outside in Demarius Rand or in uh, Kevin King, and allows Demarius Randall to play to some of his strengths in the slot. I think ideally the Packers would like him to be sort of that quasi-safety slot player. And I think he can do it. This could be the way to get him into the position to do that. As far as the base goes, again, I don't think he jumps all the way up and becomes that base outside corner, one of the two starting corners, right away. I think that's coming. I don't think that's going to happen right away. Where does this leave Quentin Rollins? He was their their preferred boundary guy or one of their preferred boundary boundary guys, and he would get bumped into the slot occasionally at times as well. I think you have to move him down the depth chart at this point. He is not fast enough or quick enough to stick with these receivers at the top end of opposing teams' depth charts. And I think you're starting to get to the point where you, you really have to make some hard decisions with, with both Rollins and Randall, because their production is not matching the level at which they were drafted uh, here in their third year. So what can we expect from Kevin King? Assuming he gets put into this situation where he's getting more snaps, perhaps even considered a de facto starter. If you consider three wide receivers to be your top three or to, to be starters, uh, I think you could make the same argument for your top three corners, all are starters in their own way. I think the way forward, as we wrote about earlier this spring, is kind of what we're calling uh, the Nick Collins path. Gary and I worked on a column uh, called, In a Perfect World, Kevin King Will Blank. I kind of structured my argument around what the Packers did with Nick Collins and the way he kind of produced as a rookie. Uh, Nick Collins was a starter for the Packers in all 16 games, but he didn't put up particularly outstanding sort of box score stats. I'll read you what I wrote uh, at the time about King and Collins. In a perfect world, Kevin King's rookie season would probably resemble that of Nick Collins. Though they played different positions, they were both or they are both extremely athletic additions to the secondary. As a rookie, Collins started 16 games, recording one interception and eight passes defensed. If King could pull off a similar line, I think his rookie season would be a success. Even in a perfect world, Asking for much more than that seems to be a little bit much. I agree with everything that I wrote there, and I think I still believe that that is the best possible situation for King. He doesn't have to put up fantastic stats for it to be a successful move, putting him in the secondary. It doesn't really matter if he gets a lot of interceptions or breaks up a lot of passes, though that would be nice. Don't get me wrong. I think he just needs to be in the lineup because of the athleticism that he brings and the, the type of player that he both is and could become. The Packers really don't have anything like him in the secondary right now. It would be great to get a little bit more athleticism out there. So let's move on to, to Josh Jones. What sort of role could we look at for him? And what 
sort of expectations should we have? As far as a role, I think, like King, I stand by what I wrote uh, about Jones. I think more than a particular position, you need to think in terms of roles for him. What is he going to do as opposed to what position he's going to play? Here's what I wrote at the time. Uh, As rookie minicamp gets underway, Jones may have an unusual advantage over his draft counterpart. While King has a very specific job, that is being a cornerback, Jones will get opportunities to contribute all over the field. Well, this could sound like it puts a lot of pressure on Jones. The reverse may actually be true. By lining him up in a variety of positions, the Packers will be giving Jones opportunities to succeed in smaller roles, ones built for his skill set. To me, the nitro package that the Packers have been running appears to be exactly that. I think some. I think Jones has a huge opportunity in that package and a big opportunity to jump ahead of Kentrell Bryce, who was the first safety off the bench when the Packers moved Morgan Burnett down into more of a linebacker role. Bryce would come in as a safety. I think that's a similar sort of situation for Jones with one key difference. I think instead of Burnett moving down and playing a linebacker spot, what you're going to see is Jones just come in as a linebacker and Burnett will stay on the back end and do more traditional safety stuff. Jones is a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and significantly faster than Morgan Burnett. And I think any mistakes that he's going to make in that linebacker position are a lot less likely to be extremely costly than mistakes he might make as a safety. These opportunities, again, are going to be in a fairly limited role. I don't think you put him out there as a sort of slot defender uh, covering people one-on-one. I don't think you do that. I don't think you play him as much as a traditional safety, although you could in limited sorts of situations. I think you carve out a niche there for him as that sort of hyper-athletic linebacker-safety hybrid and just let him run around and be athletic even in a more limited role. By doing both of these things with these very athletic rookies that the Packers have, I think you're putting your your defense as a whole in a much more advantageous position. Athleticism covers a lot of mistakes. And just by getting the Packers' most athletic guys, best overall football players onto the field, I think they can cover over a lot of mistakes. That and they just have to get healthy. That's an entirely different issue. There is one other subplot I wanted to talk about as it pertains to Josh Jones. We have to start thinking of him a little bit more as Morgan Burnett insurance for the long term. Burnett is playing well so far this year, but his contract is up after this season. I think it behooves the Packers to do whatever they can to get Jones ready for the possibility of Burnett not returning to the team next year. Packers are not super eager to give out a lot of third contracts, and Burnett is kind of falling in that sweet spot of age that that makes it more likely that the Packers would move on a little bit earlier rather than a little bit later. Getting Jones on the field more and more, giving him more and more responsibilities as the season goes on, can only help the Packers both in the short term and in the long term, and I think it's something they have to think about long and hard. Later this week, we are going to give you our more in-depth preview about um, the Packers-Bengals game this Sunday. I'm not prepared to make a pick at this point, although I think given the state of the the Bengals' offense, it is fairly likely that the Packers 
uh, will come out on top. Uh, we'll have a more nuanced, more in-depth pick coming for you later this week. But that is my uh, take for right now, and I will stick with that. And while I've got you here, I wanted to talk for a little bit about the most productive rookies in Packers history. The Packers do need some big contributions, as I've mentioned, from rookies on defense. So who among the Packers draft picks have had the best rookie seasons on defense in Packers history? Pro Football Reference has this great stat called approximate value, kind of tries to value uh, a person's overall contributions to his team. Uh, the rookie leader in that category is Clay Matthews. He had an AV of 11 in 2009. He also had the most sacks by a rookie with 10 that same season, obviously. Interceptions, Tom Flynn and John Simnack both had nine in 1984 and 1957, respectively. Uh, since 1984, after Tom Flynn's incredible season, Casey Hayward holds the top spot in that category. He had six in 2012, a pretty impressive season in its own right. Tackles, finally, Nick Barnett had 86 solo tackles, according to ProFootballReference.com, in 2003. Uh, A.J. Hawk almost matched that total, but didn't quite get there, though he did have more uh, assists than solo tackles, or assists uh, than Burnett did, or Barnett did. Nick Barnett had 86 solo tackles and something like 20, 25 assists, maybe 26. A.J. Hawk had 82 solo tackles and like 37 assists. So more overall tackles if you want to count them that way. But anyway, those are the best rookie seasons by Packers defenders. I don't think you're going to see either Josh Jones or Kevin King get to those levels. Although if Kevin King or Jones got to nine interceptions, that would be pretty great. Even if they got to nine together, that would be phenomenal. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Blue 58. Don't forget, you can always find us at thepowersweep.com as well as on Facebook and Twitter. We are facebook.com slash thepowersweep and twitter.com slash thepowersweep. You can tweet to us using at thepowersweep. You can also reach us via email. Our address is thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We have some ongoing conversations uh, with a couple different uh, people about the team, about things going on to the site. We got a good question about our new RSS feed, and there's information about that on the site as well for our new uh, podcast host, Libsyn. Uh, we were talking about that via email, and if you have any questions about you know technical stuff on the site as well, we're more than happy to answer those. Uh, feel free to support us via Patreon, via Teespring, via Spreadshirt, via all the options we have on thepowersweep.com. We love your contributions. We are thankful for every way that you contribute. Most of all, listening, reading, and sharing these articles and podcasts with your friends. We love you guys, and thank you so much for for reading and listening. I am John Meerdink. I have been your host. We will see you and hear you next week on Blue 58.